I think for people who are in hiring positions, we really need to say merit has to look different. And everyone brings something to the table which is unique. So what if we value what everyone brings to the table instead of considering it as demeritorious? For example, when you hire a person with disabilities, what if you say that we value that disability because that disability is a different way of seeing the world? So what if you don't say, oh God, we're hiring someone who can't see. Now we have to invest in like software for this person. Oh God, it's an expense. Or, oh God, we're hiring someone who has a wheelchair. Now we have to build a ramp. What if you actually say, what an incredible opportunity to have someone who has a different kind of merit than us. And so this ramp we are building is not an expense. It's an investment. And if we do it well, maybe we'll have other people who will join us from these dimensions. And it will enhance our organization so much fundamentally. That was Parmesh Shahani, our guest for today. He's an author and a passionate advocate for LGBTQ inclusion in corporate India. He's also the author of Gay Bombay, Globalization, Love and Belonging in Contemporary India, as well as Queeristan, LGBTQ inclusion in the Indian workplace, for which he won the CK Pralhad Award for the best business book of 2021. What did you think of that quote, Christina? Well, one thing that I love about how he situates this idea of hiring and inclusion is that it's, he looks at it not in a way where it's, oh, this is something from the corporate perspective. Oh, this is something we have to do. This is something we should do. This is something on paper that we have to check some kind of box and it's going to cost us time and money and energy. What I think is so powerful in what he does is that pivot to looking at it as, wow, what a cool opportunity that we get to have this new perspective. And I think that that's such an amazing attitude to make that shift. Parmesh is talking about it in the context of corporates doing their hiring work. But I think that that's also something that we can all take and make that shift in terms of looking at our workplaces and looking at opportunities to be more inclusive. I just love that shift to the pivot to the positive. What do you think of it? You know, I think of it as it actually makes business sense, right? I mean, the cost of putting up a few ramps or, uh, you know, hiring someone who can do translation in sign language is far lesser than the profits that can be made from including people from diverse perspectives on your team because then that means you're attracting diverse audiences. I think that's incredibly powerful. And I think that's the argument that he makes in Queeristan in his book where he says that, Queer inclusion is profitable, like any kind of inclusion across, you know, ability and across gender is actually profitable. I completely agree with that viewpoint. And I think it's such an important pivot to make. And I know when you are going to do shows, you make it a priority to ask to hire an opening act that is woman. Can you tell me a bit about that? So tell me about when did you start making that decision and how was that usually received? I started doing this about back in like 2016, I think, because I realized the sort of desperate, you know, differences there were in the way women comedians were hired. And of course, like initially when I started out, there were very few. And usually I think what happens, the converse end of it is people are usually surprised. They're like, oh, we thought you were the only woman who was doing these days. We've got a bunch more. 
I think it's almost always it's been a pleasant surprise for most people. Some people have been like, "Oh my God, she's your opening act!" You know, I saw a video of hers. You know, that day, and she's so funny live as well. And I was like, "Yep, yep, I'll take credit for her being funny as well now." But I love that because I think that that's something where you're using that platform that you have to help put other women forward. You know, and I think that that's something that we can all do in our own individual capacities. If you are you and proud to be you, and you know that. You know, maybe I am different. Maybe something that I'm going to contribute is going to be a very different perspective from what they already have. You know, that is a wonderful, beautiful thing to be proud of. Oh yes, oh yes, and no one is going to be able to tell us better than this than our guest for today. Here's Parmesh Shahani. Parmesh, we are so excited to have you today. We're really interested in hearing more about your own story, and we're going to talk about hiring and where we can look for opportunities and how we have opportunities to be better allies and better partners in and providing chances for as many people as possible to join the workforce. I'm so glad, Christina. I'm glad you started with hiring because you know June comes about and everyone does rainbows and unicorns and. Everyone wants to do performative activism, and people forget that it all has to land up with people having better lives, you know, with jobs and things like that. So I'm very glad you started with hiring. Chalo, we will not cancel you all. <laughs> the uncancelled podcast. So Parmesh, like you are incredible. Let's begin with that. And you know, your work has been so seminal in understanding how people from the queer community, and I mean, I would say, you know. Don't quote me on this, but quote me on this: Is aren't all women a little bit queer? You know the way that the corporate world interacts with minorities, whether it's in terms of gender, whether it's in terms of sexuality. And I wanted to hear from you about your own story. Like, how did you get started, and how does it sort of like tie into what you're doing right now? Yeah, it was a dark and stormy night. Hot, <laughs> hot. That's how every good <laughs> story begins. No? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, first to correct you, I just assume everyone is queer, because you know I've grown up in a in a, my world is hetero non normative. So I just assume everyone is queer unless they come out as non queer, and then I'm like, what? Really? You don't look straight at all. Like, bro, you're like so normal. I mean, I thought you were queer. Really? So. I mean, in my world, that's how we assume. No, we just assume everyone is. I mean, so I've grown up in a homonormative world in which queerness is the norm. So yeah, so it's just nice that we're having this show where we're talking about you know straight people also sometimes. It's very nice, <laughs> and everyone, just everyone else as well. And I think it's very good that we're talking about inclusion. So to answer your question about you know how I went on this journey, I think I'm on this journey out of you know for me my own uh, work over the past couple of decades has gone parallel with my own understanding of and articulation of my own queerness and it's been a journey and then to the world at large i've also realized that i've been very blessed with multiple kinds of opportunities either through education or through circumstance completely random or through networks and you know how does one then use that position and that platform to kind of help other people 
expand their horizons and uh, contribute to you know seeing the world in a more holistic and inclusive way and more importantly in helping give opportunities to many other people so whether it's jobs whether it's access whether it is platforms for creating change so my journey has been one of self discovery and articulation and along the way realizing that if you have access to systems networks and so on one of your responsibilities is to use those to widen and create you know a better world for others the base of this podcast started when we discovered that the participation of women in the workforce was falling drastically and i mean post pandemic it has fallen even more and you do talk about you know the participation of you know the queer community in queeristan specifically what is a general sort of overview of queer people in the formal and informal workforce in india so i think and the fact that we're having this conversation and that you're expanding the reach you know the framework of this podcast as well to go beyond gender into sexuality i think is incredible to answer your question i think it has been relatively recent that people have been talking about you know lgbtq inclusion the studies which have been at least in india are relatively less i mean there's less formal studies there is a mingle survey from 2016 which spoke again about how even in progressive companies and mingle is a youth organization that was around for a few years in the mid 2000s it's like from about 2012 13 to about 18 19 and it's interesting even over there like about 60% of people interviewed in that survey for example even in progressive indian companies reported that there was rampant discrimination they reported that they heard homophobic comments they said were not safe coming out to their colleagues or to their bosses and so on and so they preferred instead you know to be closeted and not talk about these issues again and you know this is just one piece of data and bcg iim ahmedabad and pride circle recently did another landmark research report which is more recent which was last year talking about lgbtq attitudes on indian college campuses and even over here so all the formal research which is coming out says that the situation is not good whether it is in majority if people feeling very discriminated against people feeling very uncomfortable people feeling very unsafe but this is just i mean but you don't need this kind of research i mean you just have to look all around and the truth is 6 to 10% of any population is lgbtq how many of our companies have 6 to 10% of their employees identifying as lgbtq and being proud and open and comfortable about it and the companies you know being these you know warm fuzzy welcoming inclusive spaces we don't have that even in the best in the companies with the best of intent so there's a lot of work to be done just as with women in the workforce there's lots of work to be done even with that right so i mean despite our best efforts at killing our women through multiple forms of you know whether it's female infanticide whether it's other kinds of you know murder women are still about 50% of the population right i mean but it's interesting how i mean no organization has 50% of women still so i mean it's ridiculous i think there's lots of work to be done in all these dimensions including lgbtq and because where we don't even have a history so i mean in terms of if you look at our history it is only after 2018 you know supreme court judgment which decriminalized being lgbtq that a lot of organizations started taking this seriously so i think in the past few years there's been a nice kind of inflection point with the 2018 supreme court judgment with the fact that all over the world young people are you know 
very and rightfully so agitated with the organizations you know that they study at or work with so i think it's a perfect little moment at this point with young people being upset and saying this can't continue with you know at least in india you know court verdicts being in our favor and now with covid which has only further amplified the inequalities so i think now organizations all across the world and in india finally realizing that you know this is something we have to do seriously take with great intent and as i argue in kurdistan they are realizing that it is to their advantage it is a win win situation just like with hiring women when you look at you know with lgbtq people it is truly win win everyone benefits so i think now that realization has come and people are saying that along with our emphasis on gender we have to now focus on other dimensions as well as lgbtq and so on and it's about time no yeah parmesh it's interesting hearing you speak a bit about some of the data points we have to actually understand where we're at one of the things we really grappled with in season 1 with looking at women dropping out of the workforce was what are the data sets that we can rely on to really authentically understand where we are with women's labor force participation rates and this question is a bit naive but i think it's good to ask with any of these big national sample surveys or anything that looks is you know going to be done in the near ish future do we see any movement to be able to put queer communities on the map in terms of gathering that data no i don't think so because i don't think we register in any significant way in people's imaginations as well i mean queer people we are registering in corporate india in a way because of a variety of reasons but that also it's marginal we're not fundamental i think a lot of people would not wish to disclose that for a variety of reasons i think a lot of people who identify as women would be happier in saying so for a survey than a lot of people who identify as lgbtq and for very obvious reasons safety i would say as opposed to say other countries in the world where the movement for lgbtq rights has been more advanced and people have a lot more confidence in the state that the state is looking out for their welfare and so sharing this information would be useful to them in the long run i don't think we have that here so i don't think we're going to appear in government data in any official statistics you know i think something that could change and this is what's interesting is i think you know given that the trans movement is so much more well organized than the lgbtq movement per se in particular states for example which are indicating that they wish to work alongside trans people for our benefit you will see more and more people saying that i'm trans i want to be counted how can i help how can we help push this further for example tamil nadu which was one of the earliest states to actually push for trans rights and in which there are queer icons right now like grace banum who are working with the government in creating you know either public private partnerships or new ways of imagining trans futures which are win win for everyone concerned and things like that so i think we will be counted when authorities who count us can give us the confidence that you know they care for our wellbeing it's like a roundabout way of answering your question parmesh you make such an incredible argument in your book 
for the inclusion of you know queer people in the economy you know as consumers and as creators of the economy and i remember i, I think i've asked you this question before but i'm like oh it's so neoliberal like you know it's so rooted in you know look it's profitable for everybody why aren't we doing this and the emotional aspect of it or the humanitarian aspect of it is often left behind and fortunately or unfortunately when it comes to hiring or when it comes to this process of like either entering an organization it is incredibly human it's all emotional it's all like face to face it's all a person talking to a person and in that moment you cannot when you're sitting in an interview you cannot convince someone of your monetary value because even you don't know what it is in that moment and so you know i'm a person of the queer persuasion and i am looking for an organization or i'm looking for a job right what are the things i can look out for in an organization or in a you know a company that would give me an indicator of how they might be towards the queer community yeah so first of all aditi i wish i didn't have to make i mean i feel very crass and i feel very cheap and i feel very you know gross that i have to justify the value of me or my people because i see straight men not doing this at all like i see no one says yes this man is good but we should make sure we hire him on merit this but we should hire them on merit only comes for anyone who is non man and non straight man you know if you're hiring a woman yeah she's good but let's make sure it's on merit if you're hiring a trans person or someone who is lgbtq yeah they are good but let's make sure it but when you're hiring straight men or men in that it's just assumed that they're meritorious so you know like it's incredible and like it irks me no end just like so i have no pride about the fact that i've used a multi-pronged approach in queerstan to convince people that you know queer people are worthy i mean you should hire us because of your morals you should hire us because of our talent you should hire us because we make you more money you should hire us because of whatever because i don't see other communities making these multiple arguments they're just assuming that we hire us that it is in their advantage to include us i wish people saw that inclusion is good you know i wish people understood that because even if there was no business case <laughs> like just as i would say i mean i'm sure someone will produce data that says there's no real good business case for hiring straight men but people are still hiring them <laughs> in any case <laughs> um, yeah. no one is saying that you know hiring more straight men because you already have 92% like having 3% more straight men will make you more money will make you more innovative make you more that my arguments in the book as as well as my arguments in real life with people are rooted in pragmatism while i'm idealistic as a person as someone who works in the workforce and someone who is a consultant and someone who's trying to shift the needle in a deeply unequal world i don't have any qualms about my significance or importance i recognize that i'm marginal and for the people in power and people who have authority to understand that it is in their interest it is to their benefit and you know it will be win win that is why i make these arguments for queer people who are looking to join an organization i tell them now so more than ever in a post covid world in a world where the great resignation is playing itself out all over the world in a world where finally after years corporations are running scared companies don't know what to do because their people are leaving them in droves because suddenly everything that they promised post you know during covid and post covid they look very hollow 
So my argument to young people at this moment is this is seize the day. Use this opportunity to demand for better workplaces. And this is not just my argument to queer people. I hope that amongst your listeners, you have some straight people as well for DNI's <laughs> sake. And for all the straight listeners as well. I mean, this is as much your fight. I mean, if you say that I am talent, I only want to work for an organization that is committed to not just performative inclusion, but actual inclusion. If you ask the right questions, if you say, what are your policies for women? Tell me about your LGBTQ friendly policies. Does your workplace have all gender washrooms? Do you pay for gender affirmation surgery if someone happens to be trans? Who does your DNI? Is it another woman or a queer person who's doing it as a stretch role? Or have you invested in the team and given them budgets and given them mandates in which to actually do deep work? So I would tell anyone, queer or straight, to ask these fundamental questions to people who are hiring them and tell them that we as queer, as we as talent for today don't want to work for companies which are not walking the talk. That's how people change because people will realize that it's not going to work anymore, this, you know, fake or fine. <laughs> so my advice to everyone is like, you know, this is the moment. Use this moment well to demand and to co-create a better world. We're not going to get this kind of perfect storm of, you know, Changes happening rapidly all over the world. Fill our boardrooms with women, people with disabilities, trans people, people from various dimensions who have been underrepresented before. I mean, Suraj Yengde has an incredible book called Caste Matters where he talks about, he looks at the, you know, caste composition of most Indian boardrooms. And it's shocking. Almost zero, you know, non-privileged caste people in most boardrooms, right? And it's the same for people with disabilities. It's the same for religious minorities, Muslims in particular, it's the same for LGBTQ people. I mean, you know, I write in Kurdistan about this idea called Jugar resistance, where I say that, you know, we all have a chance to, in our own little universes, do some Jugar and, you know, maybe rock the boat in minor ways, uh, not overturn it, but do a little bit of gentle rocking. And if enough of us do that, you know, <laughs> then the system changes. So I think this is the moment for all of us to recognize that we have that power now. So we should use it. Yeah. Parmesh, I love that. Well, I love what you just said. And I really believe in that, that each of us can take these actions. And if we do that together, that that is how we change the system. Because what you said was so beautiful, that all of us have the power to rock the boat a little bit. For people doing the hiring, what are ways that they can look for implicit and explicit bias on their teams in themselves when they are doing the hiring? So I think, again, change happens with individuals, but really change happens when structures change because structural change outlasts, you know, individual valiant efforts. So for people doing the hiring, I would say, please invest in changing your systems so that, you know, this, it outlasts you when you leave. Because if you have well-meaning, if you have good intentions, and you go and some other person comes in HR, you revert to mean. And the mean is normally not a good place to be because it is status quoist. I mean, ask questions like, you know, basic stuff. Like, what is, what are we looking for? What does merit look like? For most organizations, merit looks like, you know, the majority oh, of people in the room. Yeah. <laughs> which is like a male idea of merit, which is, you know, in India, this would be upper caste, English speaking from a particular kind of educational background. And hence, anyone who wants to look meritorious 
has to kind of fit into that framework to be. So which is why you have a lot of women who are not comfortable with a particular style of leadership or etc. who feel that this is the only way that they will fit in and so on. And which is why also you have queer people, your people with disabilities who are not comfortable sharing this because they feel that it's, you know, it is non-meritorious. And so we have organizations in which diversity is spoken about, but not valued. So I think for people who are in hiring positions, we really need to say merit has to look different. And everyone brings something to the table, which is unique. So what if we value what everyone brings to the table instead of considering it as demeritorious? For example, when you hire a person with disabilities, what if you say that we value that disability because that disability is a different way of seeing the world? So what if you don't say, oh God, we're hiring someone who can't see. Now we have to invest in like software for this person. Oh God, it's an expense. Or, oh God, we're hiring someone who has a wheelchair. Now we have to build a ramp. What if you actually say, what an incredible opportunity to have someone who has a different kind of merit than us because we have a team of, say, 30 able-bodied people. How nice to have a 31st who experiences the world differently from a different vantage point and how much we'll be able to learn. And so this ramp we are building is not an expense. It's an investment. And if we do it well, maybe we'll have other people who will join us from these dimensions and it will enhance our organization so much fundamentally. So I'm saying one thing that hiring managers should do should realize that you are not doing people a favor. You are not operating from a place of benevolence of doing anyone a favor by building inclusive teams. You are doing a favor to yourself because you're bringing talent on board. Likewise for everything else. So your gaze has to be one of, you know, there is merit in everyone and I'm going to be that. And hence, the way you approach people will be different. Secondly, I think they have to be mandates. I think you cannot live in a world where you say, because like, you know, we will see, we will whatever, you know, patriarchy doesn't shift. You have to say, you know what, the next 10 people I'm going to hire are going to be different from the people we have. And too bad for the straight, able-bodied men who might be willing to join us. Now, but we have like, you know, 95% of our workforce is full of this already. We are with great intent, only going to hire people who are different because that is the kind of organization we have to build. I love what you just said so much. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the definitely mandates will help change the system. And what you first named, which is making that positive narrative shift, that positive shift to how we approach including more people, that's something that I think is great that hiring managers can do. And it's also something all of us can do in our daily lives, whether or not you are doing the hiring or just in your workplace. I think that's something that all of us can make that individual shift. You know, first of all, I have such a crush on you, Parmesh. And the second, <laughs> stop it. And then, uh, you know. I'm just going to message Timothy Chalamet <laughs> and say, sorry, <laughs> Timothy. I'm not flying to Paris to be with you for Dune 2, sh two shooting. <laughs> Although we had planned our rendezvous in the tent and everything properly because I have to be with Aditi. <laughs> you know, I, as you can pronounce my last name, that's all. I'm saying mine is an easier last name to pronounce. Michael, Michael Sainz. <laughs> damn it! Damn, damn it! You are uh, Michael, you are Michael to my needs. Uh, Oh, Sina, Sina. How not to have a crush on him? How not to have a crush on him? Yeah, Christina, please help me out. <laughs> help me out. 
I can understand it completely. And here's a question. I'm trying to ground it in. Is the Indian workforce currently in a place to ask for what they want? Do you think, you know, keeping in mind, as you mentioned, the great resignation that's happening abroad, you know, I mean, I know I've had more Zoom meetings of people who are like growing beards and living out of Goa than I have had in my entire lifetime in the past one week. And do you think that we are in that Some place where... Some of Yeah, mostly it's just my cousins, all Punjabi girls. Yeah. Do you think that the workforce is in a place finally that we can ask for what we want? No. I think, but I think we are in a place where we can make a difference. I think structurally we are not there because if you look at the funnel of people who enter the workforce, I mean, there are gatekeepers at every level, whether at the college level, whether at the hiring level, whether in senior leadership. But I think the, you know, institutions and the system is a little scared right now. So I think this is what we can do at this time. I think young people, and you're seeing this happening at MBA colleges. I work specifically with LGBTQ inclusion, so I can talk about that. But never before have I seen such energy on college campuses where suddenly professors and administrators are a little nervous. And, you know, in the past couple of years, every major MBA campus in this country has started an LGBTQ cell. And they're doing events and they're talking about it and more and more people are coming out. You know, almost, I mean, every major corporation is talking about LGBTQ inclusion. Industry bodies like CII and FICI and All India Management Association are talking about this. People are more and more becoming, and like, you know, this rattling is going all the way up to senior leadership and so on. Has it fundamentally changed the situation on the ground? A little bit, but is it going to fundamentally change the situation on the ground for the candidates that come forth, you know, over the next few years? Certainly. As Mona El-Tahavi, whose, you know, work I love, as she has written about, as have so many other great feminist writers and queer icons, today's generation is not growing, is not willing to accept crumbs. So they're not saying, yeah, you have tolerated us and included us, that's okay. They're saying full ranks. We want it all. We want the whole cake. We will bake a bigger cake. We will all eat a piece of this bigger cake, but we're not going to fight for these crumbs. And you can see it. There is a difference. There are progressive states in India like Chhattisgarh, Tamil Nadu, Maharashtra to some extent, and others, which are Karnataka, which are, you know, talking about trans rights, which are investing and engaging with community leaders, which are thinking about reservation in terms of government jobs for trans people and so on, which are understanding that, you know, economic well-being of marginalized communities is linked to like reservations in terms of work jobs for them at the government level is linked to their social welfare and upliftment and so on and are working on it so i mean at the grassroots level there is incredible change happening and it is also happening in places that we have hitherto not paid so much attention on like for example saddam runs ya all in imphal which is an incredible organization in the northeastern region of our country which over the past few years has built its own community center, like a physical building, which is doing uh, transgender football teams, which is doing queer Olympics. Saddam has appeared on, you know, with Oprah and Prince Harry on Apple TV. And just fat, fat, fat in the past few years has been going out and building a queer ecosystem in the Northeast, right? Meanwhile, the you know, the mainland of our country is arguing over other things. So I'm saying 
there's a lot of interesting work that is happening below the surface. When all this bears fruit in the next few years, we're going to see a very, you know, we're going to see an incredibly different queer country, which is why I called my book Queeristan, because, you know, that's the kind of inclusive country that I'm seeing that we are building already at this point and that I hope will come to fruition in which we all benefit. So that's what I'm seeing right now. And that's what gives me confidence. Yeah. Thank you so much, Parmesh. Is there anything before we wrap up? Was there anything else that you wanted to add about hiring that we haven't asked a direct question about? Anything that you came to this discussion wanting to share? Yeah, you can tell me, you can ask me what is the most irritating thing that people talk to you about, like in terms of, you know, not doing things. So, What is the most <laughs> irritating thing that people talk to you about? <laughs> And did we ask that question? No, you didn't. <laughs> no, but most people, because, you know, now I talk to so many other companies and I think it's really, really irritating. And, you know, people get this a lot. I'm going to go down the weed that's when I see two Indias. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I see two Indias. In one India, people ask this question and in one India, people don't. <laughs> in the India that is in, in, in you know, people ask, Anytime you present an idea which is exciting, which is path-breaking, which can bring about real change, there is always someone who says this, let me play devil's advocate for a moment and try and squashes it. And I think it's very important for listeners who are listening to this, please don't. Uh, just hashtag don't. <laughs> don't play devil's advocate. You know, I see two Indias, one India in which people are asking, uh, so anytime a good idea comes, people are playing devil's advocates. Another Indian is people are saying, no, let's not. <laughs> uh, so that bugs me a lot because a lot of, I mean, there's so much talent. There are so many good ideas, right? I mean, this is the thing, right? The whole ecosystem has been built right now. So anyone who wants to do anything right now, you don't have to do much work also. And I hope people who listen to this realize you want to hire returning women. There are so many organizations. Avtar is there. This one is there. That one is there. Go and hire them. You don't have to like, you know, dig the road and build the ground and build, put the electricity poles and all that. People have been doing this work for the past 30, 40 years. Use the infrastructure. You want to hire trans people? There is Rise Job Fair. There is Periphery. There is, you know, Trans Center. There are so many things. You want to support our community during COVID? You know, Keshav Suri Foundation is doing good work. Tweet Foundation is doing good work. Solidarity is doing good work. I mean, across the country, hundreds. Anything you want to do, the infrastructure is there. So at this point, I think people who want to do good work, you know, and if some good idea comes, the worst thing you can do is like shut it down by playing devil's advocate and saying, you know, completely random stuff. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment. What if we hire trans people and all of them want to do surgery at the same time? Then what will happen? I mean, dumb question. I'm like, you must be the one when you were shifting to six months maternity. You must, that same person must have said, Are, what if all a hundred women become pregnant at the same time? Then we will give them all six months maternity leave. What will happen to the company? People talk like this. It's unbelievable. I can feel, I can feel my <laughs> anger prickling. Like Christina's become neck. red. <laughs> Christina's become but red. But it's so dumb, no? As but no one it. says. <laughs> but you know, the men will never say, we are all... Older, little unhealthy men. What if we all get heart attacks <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> what will happen to the company then? You know, <laughs> no one says that. 
Yeah, yeah, what if there's a particularly oily samosa in the canteen that afternoon and all of us like collectively have heart blockage failure? See, but we are laughing what right then? now, but the fact is people in power are not, you know, this is the questions they ask. And so it's very irritating for someone who wants to bring about change. Because the people who are trying to bring about change in any organization tend to be young, tend to be more connected with reality outside. The people who are trying to stifle change tend to be older, tend to be scared. They don't want change to come about. They're happy with the status quo. They can't say directly, ki, I don't want more women. Hence, they are playing devil's advocate. They can't say directly, ki, trans people make me nervous. Anyone listening, please. This role is outdated. Don't be devil's advocate. There's other roles you can play. Yeah. The only way you can be devil's advocate is if when you are in hell or when you go to hell. <laughs> you and know, you're literally the lawyer for the devil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, participation of minorities in the workforce. Say, for example, queer women get hit with a double whammy of, you know, not only being women, but also being queer you know, I put it out there that I was, we were recording an episode with you, by the way. <laughs> and of course, my Instagram loves you. My Instagram loves you. Okay. So somebody sent me a message saying, you know, I'm a queer woman. And she told me something very interesting. She said, I am always expected to conform. And I'm expected to be a part of the boy gang. She's like, when those conversations actually make me incredibly nervous. And, you know, I, I'm very, very uncomfortable in that position. But, you know, and she's like, I realize that I am respected lesser than, you know, the straight women. Because at least they have that, you know, the respectability wala roof over their heads where it's like, oh, no, no, women, you know, you shouldn't talk in front of them. But as a queer woman, she and she feels like she's under dire threat quite a lot and what would you say to someone who is experiencing a double whammy like this I would say the responsibility is on the organization which is why like I think a lot of our things we say what do we tell the queer person a queer person anyway working so hard has probably reached their overcoming way more hurdles than a straight person has is working with the tension that I better work and I know this because I've done this for so many years I better work harder and longer and like prove myself way more than my straight colleagues and you know queer mental health and all is I mean is completely is another episode altogether so I would say first to her key you know just solidarity and so much love that you are in this space you are figuring things out you are you know struggling on a daily basis and making it through the onus is on the organization the onus in every situation is on the system the organization has to create a space in which everyone feels valued in which if you feel uncomfortable, there have to be, which is that has to be systemic change. I mean, is the organization offering on a regular basis? This is how you, this is what good conversation is. This is what bad conversation is. Your colleagues might all be different from each other. This is appropriate. This is not. These are pronouns. This is how we use them. This is not. I mean, you know, I think the onus is on the organization to invest in all of this so that when a wide range of talent comes on board, you know, colleagues are sensitized everyone is and in that process then if people have like you know i don't like them not comfortable to have a space where you can say okay listen bro i love all of this but like listen you know can we not talk like this and in a way that you know organizationally the male colleagues or whoever it is feel yeah cool we are we have a space in which we can all share our feelings of comfort and discomfort thank you for sharing this with us I mean, this is the culture of an organization and it doesn't come about overnight. It comes about with deep intent and it comes about investments. You have to invest in all of this. 
and then to have these systems in place that if things make someone uncomfortable, there are ways in which you can actually address it while not feeling that is my job at stake or is this or maybe I have to just, you know, suppress this and take this or whatever. I'm talking about the non-sexy, the non-Insta post, the work that takes years and years to do, the non-rainbow washing wala post. I mean, I'm talking about the deep work that organizations need to do. But given that, it's so incredible that queer talent or talent from so many communities continues to work in these spaces despite facing such difficulties, right? So hats off. Pramesh, I love that today you've given us both the big ideas to think about as well as very specific questions and actions that we can take. It has been so illuminating and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Lots and lots of love and hope to see you all in person very, very soon. For more information on the podcast, please visit womeninlabor.com or search for Women in Labor on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Women in Labor is made by Executive Producers Christina McGilvery, Aditi Mittal and Laura Quinn. Head of Production, May Miriam Thomas. Senior Producer, Divita Oberoi. Chief of Staff, Priya Kapoor. Marketing Director, Mania Sachdeva. American Center Team, Joy King, Purva Jassi, Min Jong Bay, and Radhika Sungar. Junior Producer, Niketana Kamal. Junior Editor, Yash Hirve. Mix Engineer, Karthik Kulkarni. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center, New Delhi. The opinions, findings and conclusions are those of women in labor and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State.